What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown presented by FanDuel. This is your Wednesday, December 21st episode. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we are welcoming in Jared Mueller to the show here in just a moment. Reminder of things up at the OBR, we have Fred Greetham's notes from being at Berea today, uh, things that took place, some some quotes on Jarvis Landry, the praise that's still there for him. Maybe we should talk about that, Jared. And then uh, a couple other pieces of uh, uh, you know quotes that we've heard from from players inside the building. We also have an ongoing Jack Duffin extend expire uh, contract evaluation, play performance evaluation, well worth your time. And then over the last two days, I have broke down a couple of important plays. I'm going to try to do this a little more often for you guys. Just just digging in on key plays, looking at decisions, schemes, things like that. We have a manner zone looking at Denzel Ward's third quarter interception. And then we also have looking at the improvisation from Donovan Peoples-Jones on the third quarter touchdown that ended up deciding the game. Those two plays are hyper-analyzed, and we'll try to do some more of that for you throughout the rest of the week leading up to the weekend. Jared, we're welcoming you in. What's up, man? How's life? And are you ready to uh, yuck it up on this football team that's still hanging on to playoff hopes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least listen, it's way easier to talk about wins and losses, things that are hopeful, especially without that you know first-round draft pick. That used to be our, our backup option. So listen, I'll take the 1% and I will ride it until the wheels fall off. Yeah, we're going to take that 1% into our conversation, which is almost a weekly update now about defense. It is They've gotten better. You know, like Kevin Cole has put out some stuff this week about how the, the Browns are winning despite Deshaun Watson. I, I think Watson's gotten better. But, like, the defense has turned around the EPA metrics to an extent. And I think the question that lingers for some people is, are they actually getting better or are they just finding other ways to stop drives, right? Like, is there something else at play? So I know what I think. I think I've been relatively vocal about it this week. I'll let you answer that one. Yeah. I mean, I think the reality is, is that they are playing better and they're still not very good, but they're playing the Baltimore Ravens, the Houston Texans, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, obviously they did better against Cincinnati than, than we maybe would have expected, at least from a score perspective. Um, but they also, you know, Cincinnati didn't have those two wide receivers and Jeff Howard said one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life, at least based on just the words that he used. So overall, I I think it's a both and right. And I know that's a, that might be a little bit of a cop out, but I think they are playing better. They seem to be in better position. Uh, some of it is, uh, regression to the mean when it comes to turnovers and some of that kind of stuff. Um, but in the end team, you know, Baltimore ran for a ton of yards, even though Tyler Huntley wasn't playing well, throwing the football. Uh, and so I think you take it with a grain of salt because I know it'll never happen, 
But if a team only ran the football against the Browns, I think they would run for 250 yards. Like, then it's just the reality. That doesn't mean they're not playing well and making some key plays. I think they are playing better. They're still just lacking, right? They're down four linebackers in the middle of that defensive line, even if Taven Bryan every once in a while has a play. And Perrion Winfrey really does seem to have turned it around, you know, since kind of his, this has been the roughest year of my life tweet. Um, there still is a lot of need there. And I think that's going to be some offseason conversation. So they have improved. They are also playing bad team. The bad team stuff stands out. I think you have to look at it and say, is the process, but I guess it's, uh, let me phrase it this way, Jared. It's how do you view playing better, right? I still think the process is broken. I still think too many things are missed. I think schematically, there are so many things defenses can take advantage of and have been to an extent, but they have also played two teams that I think have had absolutely obnoxious game plans in the Ravens and Texans. Uh, combined 69 throws from Kyle Allen, Tyler Huntley, when all you have to do to your earlier point about run game is just run moving gap schemes, right? Power counter stuff. And you can find yards. They don't defend it. They cannot anchor at the point of attack and they do not fill run fits on moving gaps with any sort of effectiveness. So I, I think there's benefits there. I don't think that they're better. I don't think that and certainly the scheme stuff in the middle of those two games with, with uh, Cincinnati, it just kind of blew up in our face to the point that we're like, okay, now we've talked about how they failed to scheme things and they just admitted it bluntly admitted <laughs> it. And it's like, that doesn't help in the middle. And I think like, again, are you a process or results person, right? If you, if you like the process to be better, I don't think you like anything that you've seen from the defense. If you're a results person and you look and say, Hey, three points. And I can't remember how many Houston scored 14 or, you know, they're playing better and the results based metrics of study they are playing better, right? The EPA stuff, it's going to look better when you stop teams or teams make mistakes, get in their own way. Again, though, it's how do you view it? Do you view punching a football out and actually recovering it? Do you view a bunch of different little pieces coming together, right? Like Denzel Ward mm-hmm. jumping in front and making a miraculous interception. So the, the, the results have been better. I still don't think the process is very good. And it's not changed my mind. You know what I mean? Like, it's just whether you view defense, what vacuum do you view it through? Because turnovers, while awesome, are not consistently predictable, right? But your play down to down, how you defend the two phases of the football, uh, you know, between run pass are relatively more predictable. And that's where they still, especially run game, lack. The passing stuff has helped. But again, look at the results of the last three and who they've played. And you're going to see why that is right. Yeah. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah. The turnover thing is really interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I have the data anymore or it's been a while, but you know, a lot of fans want the Browns to play more man and there are generally less turnovers in man, right? Because man coverage, you're going to break up some more passes because you're going to be closer, hopefully. Uh, but in zone is when you actually get more of those turnovers because you can make a break on the ball, those kind of things. And so it's generally an either, or if you're going to plan a lot more, man, you're going to get generally less turnovers, less interceptions. Um, so yeah, I think the turnovers are the, the key is they just happen to play a couple of bad offenses with just bad schemes. Like I have no idea why Tampa Bay even, uh, didn't seem to run the ball enough. I know they didn't have Leonard Fournette that game, but yeah, listen, if again, they are the third worst DVOA against the rush this year um, with only the New York Giants and Green Bay Packers being worse. And then there's a huge jump. So from the Browns at 9%, Giants at 10.1 and Green Bay at 11.8, the next worst team 
is 4.4, right? And so whatever the numbers you think they mean, that is a humongous jump to go from 9, 10, 11. The next worst team is 4.4. And then DVOA goes negative for the positive teams. And Tennessee is negative 23.6. So there is a just a humongous gap between good run defenses, bad run defenses, and the Browns, Giants, and Packers. Yeah, it's it's atrocious. And you know, there are ways that you can certainly improve that stuff. But, you know, the, the, from year to year, I mean, but for the most part, the, the way it shook out is it's not moving. That isn't moving. The passing stuff is moving because passing relies on decent quarterbacks, healthy wide receivers, all of that. So we've seen that shift a little bit. And Tom Brady was just off there. It's not like you watch Tom play that game. There were open guys downfield. They just missed them. And Tampa has been in a funk, as we all know and have seen over the course of uh, really the whole season as somehow the NFC South is still remaining in limbo. Uh, they're, they're, they're a bit broken. But, yeah, I mean, I think the defense, again, they've they've got a nice stretch of games here. The Andy Dalton freezing cold weather. Andy Dalton-led Saints are coming into town. You go to, to, to the commanders who are clearly not – they have a, a plethora of wide receiver talent. That part is – a fact, but they're not God's gift to offense. They don't put up a ton of points either. And then you obviously close with likely to be led by either Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett uh, Steelers. So you're not looking at a juggernaut of, of, of opposing offenses. So they do have the means to put up a better result. But what about the process is improving, right? You know, we wrote up that Denzel Ward thing today and I got some opinions from Tyler Manns and uh, John Stephenson about, um, you know, specifically, this coverage, it's called cover seven. There's a couple checks within cover seven. One's called stubby and one's called um, cone, which is meant to decipher three by one stuff and, and and give you answers to coverages and against trips and then be able to bracket the backside in what's called cone coverage. And it's like, and John's specific thing was, it's nice to see them put in cover seven 15 weeks into the season. If they would have had this in the week before, you would have had an answer for doubling or making sure there was a reputable scheme to defend Jamar Chase the way they needed to. And it's like, that's the stuff between the miscommunications on simple things early in the year, all of the moving pieces that we've seen that just don't make any sense, you know, fourth downs where you don't have anybody in the a gap type of like boneheaded things, 12 men on the field. And it's like, you, you, you gotta really be careful to not get tricked into another season of it. You know, that's, that's where I think you know, I still stand where I stand on Joe Woods. And I talked to this with Pete Smith yesterday. It's like, I would hope, and I said this, I think I said it to Anthony Lima yesterday. I hope the evaluation's done. I, I cannot imagine they're pending just like Kevin's job title, uh, you know, security here. I can't imagine what Joe Woods does in the last four or five weeks of the season changes the feelings that they should have about him. I just don't. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I don't think it should. But then you ask the question, and again, we've talked about this all the time, like they're evaluating Joe Woods, but then the, the question is, is how much does Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta, like what we don't know is how much they all work together, right? Like how much of these meetings, when, when we talk about alignment, how much of this is they, they are saying, yes, this is what we want to do. How much are they pushing back and Joe Woods isn't listening? Right. Like there is some of that kind of stuff where you're like, well, if Kevin Stefanski's on board with this, which was, again, we can't assume he is or isn't. Well, what does that mean then? Like, is he going to, you know, is he going to stick to his guns? Um, there is a bias that we all struggle with. It's why, and not to, we'll never talk politics or I won't, 
Um, but the, it's why incumbents almost always win is because for incumbents to lose, some of the people who voted for him last time have to not vote for him this time. And that tends to be hard for people to do, hard for people to really wrap their mind around. And Kevin Stefanski has put his name to Joe Woods. And so it'll be interesting. I think it shouldn't come down to results. You're exactly right. You can win games because the other team is an idiot or this horrible weather game that we're about to talk about or whatever. But that doesn't mean Joe Woods has improved just because the ball bounced his way, his team's way, you know, against some bad teams. Yeah, I think that's where it has to be at this point. Listen, we're going to take our first break, come back, and then we got to talk about a serious other matter uh, that is uh, in a in a in a phase of the Browns structure here that it's it's pretty scary. I think we'll all agree. We'll be right back. Hey guys, telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now, again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR. Very simple. Just OBR. Get that sign-up bonus. Right, Get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. Safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. You've got to be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When we look at Cade York's stats, Jared, it's not it's not good, man. It's not good enough. And you and I have talked about this earlier in the year when he missed some that like how many can he miss, right? He's sitting at 22 of 30. He's been relatively good in extra points, 29 of 31, but he's sitting 22 of 30. Now, if a large portion of those 22 of 30, the eight misses were from 50 or beyond, you know, okay, got it. You know, six of eight are from 50. That's that's you start to get to 50. You're like. That's a coin flip, can understand it. But he's four of seven from 50. He's six of eight from 40 to 49. Seven of 10 from 30 to 39, which is just jarring. 
So where does that you go? Okay, well, what does that look like compared to the league? If you filter in the 35 kickers who have kicked at a minimum 20% of 35 kicks, just giving you a good a good threshold here, you could honestly probably take that up a little bit to, to weed it out. You look at field goal percentage this year. His extra point percentage is pretty strong. It's pretty strong. 93, though, it's only 20th in the league. There have been how many guys here? I'm looking at one, two. There's about 12 that haven't missed an extra point who have kicked at least 14 of them. So you look at all field goals, it's Cade York and then Chris Boswell at the Pittsburgh uh, situation. <laughs> I think he's been hurt. So he's yep. 13 of 18 on the year, but he's been hurt. It's Cade York at the bottom. He's 22 of 30, 73%. It's the worst in the league. That's of everybody who kicks consistently. Now, I'm sure if I look at 30 to 39, yeah, he's right down there with Brandon McManus out of uh, Denver has struggled a little this year. He's 24 of 32. He's three of five from that range while Cade's seven of 10. So his 70% is 29th in the league. The problem here is 50 plus yard field goals. On top of that, he's 57%, which is 24th in the league, 40 of 49. You're talking about, let me see if I can find him here. It's it's uh, he got lost in the shuffle. He's 21st at 75%. So again, you're talking about one of the worst kickers in the league right now. His, his grade is, is 28th i don't know how they do grade there uh not totally sure but he is um a 56.7 so that's 28th out of those 31 kickers the question becomes how long do they wait here right like i think that we can all agree he's going to get through the first year if he kicks this way again and again to me jared it's not just it's not just misses it's the nature of some of them the 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 example here is he again has this this pull hook shank left that is reminiscent to my early in the day driver swings <laughs> and and relating it to golf i think is pretty accurate but he's missing he's he's just mishitting it completely wait are you saying it. you you didn't hit one or three of those uh with the OBR golf outing that i was also a part of well i mean i hit one or three good ones Let's put it that way. But to his game, which needs to be better, it's it's the nature. It's not like he's just missing. And even the one that the next one up that he pushed right, it misses a by a wide margin. And this has been a repetitive thing. His misses have been I'm pull hooking it left and it's shanked. It's not even like a decent kick. It's almost like a high school kick. And then or he's pushing it right because he's overcompensating and it's going well right. So do you think that they let me put it this way. This is kind of a, a burning question. Does he go into next year with a warm seat? Because I, I, I understand they're invested in him as a fourth round pick and there's growing pains. The weather had nothing to do with that yesterday, Saturday. It had nope. nothing to do with it. So you can't say, oh, well, look at Tucker. Well, yeah, Tucker missed one by a razor's edge and he got one blocked. Blocks happen yep. every now and again. Low trajectory. He didn't hit it well, but the weather didn't determine either of those. And opposing kickers have traditionally done pretty damn well in Cleveland. That's the argument here. It's like, well, there's a hard place to kick. Well, last year, I don't think a kicker even missed a kick. A visiting kicker missed a kick in Cleveland. So, like, there's no excuse here. And the shanks are not because of, like, oh, man, I saw that ball just, like, completely turn out because the wind blew it away. Now, he's well aware of the Dawson flag in the stadium. He gets that. Like, these are mishits. And it's like, how long can you stay invested in a fourth-round pick because you care and you think he's got talent before this is a real problem because it's, I mean, 22 of 30, like you, people talk about this fourth down aggressiveness. 
well, I don't think you can trust him. You can, especially if he's missing three kicks from the 30 to 39, where I, again, I don't, <laughs> I can't look around the league. Look, man, I don't see many guys in the league who have missed many of these things. There have, there are, I would say 17 kickers here, Jared, who have kicked four or more from 30 yards and they've not missed one. Uh, there have been one, two, three, four, five, 11. Um, it looks like there's six, seven. Uh, so it looks like there's only two kickers in the entire NFL this year with multiple misses in the 30 to 39 range. Will Lutz has missed two. Sorry, there's three. Will Lutz is nine of 11, York seven of 10, and McManus in Denver is three of five. So those are it. Everybody else has just missed one or none. Like, this is a massive issue, man. It is. I would say his seat is warm, but I think you're talking six to eight games. You're not talking, you know, the first three or four. Because uh, we even see with Jacoby Brissett and 11 games, and they they had a chance and uh, to really make something of themselves. I think the reality is with Cade, it feels like one of, a multitude of things. There is just some structural things with his, his kicks that, you know, I know you've broken down plant foot. AJ Philly's done some of that um, angle, not wanting it to get blocked. So he's leaning back a little bit. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on there, but I think it's really interesting that some of those middle uh, kicks are really his struggle. It's almost as if those are the kicks where he's got to give it a little bit, right? It's not a 25 yarder where he's just kind of, Boop, here we go. It's in, uh, right? That's the professional language we use. Boop. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also not a 50 yarder where he really, really has to focus. So it's almost as if maybe there's a little bit of uh, undisciplined nature to it. Short kicks, easy, fine, kick them in. Longer kicks, be a little more focused. Middle kicks, I am going to be able to make it, right? We saw, you know, the video I posted of him begging to. Uh, kick that 68 yarder or whatever, like he has a confidence and an arrogance about himself that he should be able to kick those. So you wonder if that 30, some 35, 38 yarder that he does actually have to give some effort to, but he just assumes is going to go in is when really all of his, you know, mechanics start to fall apart a little bit where he doesn't need those in the short ones and he stays focused on them in the long ones. Either way, it doesn't matter. He's got to get it together. And I think he has six to eight games to do that next year uh, with an offense that they hope is clicking in a way that if he does miss an extra or a field goal here and there, doesn't make as big of a deal early, but they have to see some of that improvement. I think mechanics is a huge deal. I also just looking at that left plant foot, I think he has to do a lot of ankle workouts. Like I know that sounds overly simplified, but he doesn't seem to get a solid plant even on some of his good kicks, it doesn't seem like he gets a solid plant that his ankle flexion is a little, it's just not strong enough there. And he's, he's bending a little. Yeah. And I, I think that <laughs> my unprofessional watching of, of Kate kicking these over and over again, and I kind of <laughs> tried to cross compare it to Tucker is like, he lifts his head really quickly too. I, I really yeah. feel like he doesn't stay down through it and has a, a propensity to lift his head. And we know, you know, again, if you're a golfing type, you know, we'll let you know where it goes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. We're all searching for answers because he just caught these shanks out of nowhere. And it's usually only right hash or right middle. It's not left. Mm-hmm. He has a nice, and he prefers to kick his PATs from the left hash. He has a good feel yep. for that nice little fade. So um, it's a problem, man. And, and I think that it's uncomfortable 
and no one's trying to push Kate out the door. You know, you give him time to grow and you and I were very vocal about it. He gets the year, but again, how long into next year, if they're six and four, six and five, where it's like, we've given away games by kicking that we cannot afford to keep doing this. We just can't. Yeah. And if it's Andrew Barry, which it will be, um, you know, at some level that was an extra selection, right? They moved down, they got these extra picks. Um, and, and I think the hard thing for fans often, and even media is we attach the draft pick value to the player where we should be attaching the draft pick or even the contract value to the GM that drafted or paid them. The fact that Cade York is a fourth round pick has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with the general manager that made him a fourth round pick. So assign that Andrew Barry, not Cade York. We're just analyzing Cade York as Cade York. We understand that being a fourth round pick, the front office may hold on to him longer, all of that jazz. But just because he was a fourth round pick doesn't change the analysis of his play. Just because somebody's got a huge contract doesn't change the analysis of his play. That's on the general manager for signing or drafting. The player yeah. himself is playing whatever he's playing because that's how he's playing. Good stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll, I mean, Kate is the focal point of so much they're doing right now because you know, Kevin's feeling pressure on fourth down success and short yardage success to turn to kick or take points. Well, people say take points like you automatically are like, ah, I decided we'll <laughs> take the points. You have to actually make the kick. And when that is a problem, it does waver into your decision making in key moments. So we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll all be watching that closely. One more quick break word from our sponsors. We have a couple more to finish up on, which I think are pretty good. We'll be right back. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com So this game is going to be nasty. It is going to be in the negative wind chills. I think it's going to be like 14 degrees, but the wind chill is going to be low and the, and the gusts of wind are 40, 50 miles per hour. It's going to be, I mean, based on temperature combined with wind, Jared, it's going to be one of the worst games we've seen in Cleveland in a little bit. It's not, it doesn't look like snow is going to happen, but that doesn't matter if the wind is bad and the temperatures are bad. And I mean, that's miserable. I, I mean, kudos to the people who go to that one, you know, shout out right. to you. Who are right on. <laughs> but in this game, is that let me put it this way. I, I certainly think the bad weather helps the Browns in some ways, but I actually think this is a bigger detriment to the to the team in the future because they have a limited number of games to figure things out with Watson and where they want to go and who they want to be. And when a game like this happens, you can't you you're game planning completely different, right? You're not game planning in the nature of a free loose environment where you can do whatever you want. The wind doesn't impact things. So this is, while good practice for future years, because they're going to hopefully be playing meaningful games late into the year where this can become a thing, I actually don't think it's great for Watson's progress. 
You know what I'm saying? Am I off on that or do you agree? No, I agree because the reality is, is while they are still, you know, they have their 1% playoff chance, the end of the season has been about Watson. And this is just not a game. Listen, I know Josh Allen played well in the snow. The snow is different than 40 mile an hour wind, right? Like it just is. Yes. A stronger quarterback can cut through the wind, yada, yada, yada. So this game and and the last two and the, the, the six that he's playing were all about him developing. Yes. There's some experience to get, but even if Deshaun Watson was it's, this is next year, two years from now, they're still going to run a unique game plan for freezing cold, uh, really high winds. Nick Chubb has a foot injury. That ground is going to be much harder. So it's going to hurt more. You know, they're just going to do things differently because of the weather. Even if he is Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, who cares? Wind just does that. You have no control over the football unless you're throwing a line drive, but anything but a line drive, you then leave it up to the, the gusts of wind coming off Lake Erie. And so um, I took a look, I'm trying to learn stat head a little bit through uh, pro football reference to try to organize things. And from what I see, Watson has only played one game outside in 36 degrees or below in the NFL. Uh, so I don't know about college. I haven't looked to see <laughs> if I have access to that yet. But Big week of acclimation, brother. That's for What's sure. What's that? Big week of acclimation for him because yeah. it's cold. And And that one game, he got sacked six times. Uh, for 52 yards, he threw 21 of 30 for 219 and a touchdown. Um, he rushed the ball for 38 yards. His, I don't actually know who the guy that was his leading rusher. I don't know who Buddy Howell is. Duke okay. Johnson was his, his great singer in the 70s. Yeah, no, yeah. that's Buddy Holly. Uh, oh, <laughs> Duke Johnson was the second leading rusher with eight carries for 26 yards, right? So this wasn't Chad Hansen was his leading receiver seven receptions for for 56 yards. The only guy I really know is Kiki Kuti uh, or Kute, uh, Jordan Atkins and Darren Fells were some of his receivers that day. So yeah, they were going through some game. ugly stretches of wide receiver play and tight, like using some random tight ends. So yeah, yeah the, I mean, ugly. he's not exposed to it. He's really not. I mean, the game in Cleveland in 2020 was a, was a game he hasn't seen much of, and it wasn't game, even that cold. Right. Yeah. It was a windy atmosphere rainy windy uh, atmosphere there so yeah i mean uh, again i think in the next five years jared they're building the dome i really do i really i really think it's going in that direction do you think it's happening yeah i think that's a great conversation i think the argument's going on online and it will for a long time but in the end there is absolutely no proof that there is a benefit to the home team to to play in cold weather there's just not any proof of that scoring goes down in bad weather overall, but there's just no proof that you become a tougher team because you play in the cold. And, and even that the Browns would be practicing outside some probably in Berea because they're not going to just play, you know, practice out in, uh, you know, in their uh, dome area. Um, And so, yeah, I think the only thing that really changes whether they'll ever do a dome is whether the shores of Lake Erie can withstand the weight of some kind of dome. But beyond that, we know the benefits of a dome. We don't know the, the negatives, right? Whether yeah. it helps the team, hurts the team, all that. There's no proof of that. But we know the benefits. Fans are happier. They're, you can control the environment. And I think when you think of analytics, controlling as many variables as you can is kind of an important thing in any type of scientific experiment. Uh, if you do one where you can open and close, you get to decide what what is open and closed. I think it just makes a lot of sense 
finances aren't an issue for Jimmy Haslam. Really, the only thing will be is if they can figure it out with um, just kind of what the land looks like, if they can get that approval for wherever they would build this thing uh, for it to be a dome with all the extra weight that comes with it. It's too like Miami should be the team that they have the absolute best advantage over the Bills. And that game was tight. There was no there was no right. advantage for, for Buffalo in that game. They won, and that's cool, and the environment was great, but I think that environment would have been just as happy in an indoor facility. And it's like, I I guess, but again, it's not regionalized. Like the Browns aren't pulling a bunch of Northeast Ohio guys, like a Northern, they got guys <laughs> from the South. Like, I just, I think it's a silly thing. I don't, I don't see some, I just don't see an advantage. I really don't. Even the guys like, you know, they don't want to practice outside. They'd prefer to practice inside. They'd prefer to like, they, no one wants to be out in the cold. Like that's just, it's, it's a, it's a very... <laughs> antiquated way of of analyzing all of it that i don't very much agree with okay last question before we go um three games left i think these three games likely don't have meaning for the playoffs it's it's i'm not trying to be mr negative here but the percentages are the percentage who has the most to prove who's playing for the most we talk about they're playing hard i think we can both agree they've been playing hard um but but who has what players on each side of the football have the most to prove i'll tell you mine on offense i think both tackles i think it's cheating because i'm using two but like Jedrick Wills is still fighting to prove he's worth picking up his option or potentially talking about another contract. And Jack Conklin's sort of doing the old Kareem Hunt method. Didn't work out for Kareem, but he's talking about, hey, I want to, I've got a house in Cleveland. I'm trying to stay here for the long term. And if those two are really good, the last three games, then they start to, you know, the Browns are crippled in terms of resources as is. They they would they would probably prefer to keep both of those guys, especially Jed, but um, I think those two have a lot, a lot to play for in these last three. Who do you have on offense? You know, on the offensive side of the ball, I think it may be, and it's a weird way of saying this. I think it may be Donovan Peoples Jones. Like this That's is a, a guy, answer. if yeah. if he's really able to continue this development with Deshaun Watson, he's going to command a contract this year. A six round pick is going to command an, uh, a contract extension this off season. Cause there is no way in Hades. If he has another three good games with, with Watson, there's just no way the Browns can allow him to get to true free agency. And so he's either playing for a contract in Cleveland or he's playing to be traded to get a contract. Either way, I think he could re- really make a ton of money this offseason, uh, which, again, these three games will kind of prove it for the Browns or for another team. How many in Browns history, how many times have they had a, a receiver or tight end go over a thousand yards? How many? How many times has this happened? Uh, fifteen, maybe max. Oh, it's an unbelievable, perfect guess. That's fifteen on the dot. That's fifteen in their entire history. A lot of guys in the night. Yeah, they've buddy. had, they've had twelve guys who have hit nine hundred. Peoples Jones is at like seven ninety, seven eighty two with three games left. I mean, Amari's obviously going to go over it. He's going to have a nice season. He's gonna. I think he's sitting at. Amari's sitting at like 980 something right now. I don't have the exact number up in front of me, but but nonetheless, like this is a milestone for this franchise that doesn't get crossed often, and he could be a guy to cross it. And I think if you would have kept some of the symmetry with with uh Brissett, he he would have because he's getting there with Watson, but you know, Watson has taken some time to ramp up and all of that. So yeah, I just think that's super noteworthy that they haven't had a a ton of success. Uh, in terms of cr- producing thousand yard seasons and he's on the cusp. So good call out. I think if he gets over a thousand yards, that's a big, it's a big bargaining chip for him. Defensively. I have John Johnson. I just think he is on the cusp of, um, 
potentially being let out of his contract at the end of this year. They're going to, they can move on from him. I don't know the exact number, but it's a cap number that they can benefit from moving on from. I think he's been better uh, two years in a row. He's been better as the season has gone on. Um, they need him to be better, but I also don't think safeties grow on trees. And I think it's, it's more of a decision than people think it is at this point. Let me put it that way. And if he has a really strong close to the season, he's, potentially here another year but I, I and again i don't know what another contract would look like for him considering his la years were strong but his cleveland years have not been that strong so i'm just interested in how he closes the year and if there's a desire to see him stick around that's a really interesting one um so interestingly i i picked the other safety because mm-hmm. i think grant delpit plays a huge role in what they decide to do and what they're thinking about doing he's been so inconsistent he's up he's down he's all over the place but I don't love the John Johnson. I don't have it off the top of my head. I don't, I remember thinking, I don't really love the dead cap that they would have to incur to, to get rid of John Johnson. It hasn't made a lot of sense to me. I know there's creative ways to do it, but he is a talented player. He may not be living up to his contract, but he's still a talented player. And to eat, even if it's $8 million, I'll eat some of that to not have to watch Austin Hooper play and to save six million or whatever it is. I'm just sure. not sure I would do that for John Johnson. But Grant Delpit, if he's actually able to step in, continue to to show a little bit here, a little bit there, um, it allows them to kind of make a decision long term to say, okay, is he the guy that's gonna kind of take over the John Johnson role and we can really focus on a true free safety? Or are we gonna have to kind of wipe the slate clean? Grant Delpit is really our Ronnie Harrison replacement. And now we're looking at long term two different safeties that we want to bring in and Delpit can be that extra linebacker for a season. Uh, I think he has a lot to play for uh, going forward uh, for this team. Yeah. I think he carries a $13 million cap number into 23. And if they cut him after June 1st, they designate it. They save around 6 million on that year. So dead money would be again, the void year stuff gets tricky for me. I'm an idiot on this, but, but at least the numbers look like there's relatively a justifiable decision to move on from him and save money. But again, if he's playing better and to your point, they may not want to replace safeties in a year where they're going to rely on a defense to maybe have a new coordinator and learn new things. And they prefer John's voice calling plays. Like there's some, there's some reason to keep him. So I think it's far less, uh, far less a lock than people think this has been fun. Jared, good conversation, man. A lot of good topics in on here. I think we've done a relatively decent job throughout the year of, of hitting on everything that matters. And, and I, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's exactly what we did today. So kudos to us. And we appreciate your insights and uh, your opinions, man. We always do. Absolutely, brother. It was good to chat with you. All right. That's a wrap for today. Thanks to Jared for being here. You guys for stopping by continuing to do so. Check out FanDuel. Use that promo code OBR to get that $100 in free bets as we're down to like 11 days before Ohio allows you to gamble. So take advantage of it before it's too late. Thanks again to you guys for checking out the OBR's Twitch, where we have the chalk talk that went up yesterday. Last night, you can watch it on the OBR's Twitch and then continuing to support the website and the many things we have going on there. Thanks, guys. Have a fantastic Wednesday. Go Browns.